everybody. Good to see you today. And Doug Awesome. I taught Doug everything I knew in five minutes. And he learned the rest of that in the auditorium at Dayspring Church by himself, ministering unto God for hours and hours and hours. And if I could choose any worship leader in the world, uh, I would choose Doug Lewis. I love you, Doug. And can give you my $20 bill. I do have a, a message from God today, and uh, I'm going to try to stay in our time frame. Uh, I do have something to say, though. Uh, now, this could be totally an untrue story, a fabricated story, but there is a story this morning that early this morning at Jimmy's Eggs in Stillwater, Oklahoma, Coach Gundy was seen buying a young man by the name of Clayton Hatfield a steak and egg breakfast. Stay, uh, Clayton Hatfield missed the extra point yesterday. And the waitress was, she walked by and she reports that she heard Coach Gundy say, yes, Clayton, we will help you get home, son, on the bus since the team left you. And secondly, you might want to grow a mullet. They won't recognize you on campus. So I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, that supposedly happened at Jimmy's Eggs. My wife wants to say hi to everybody. She's been in New Mexico doing a decorating job all week, and she is worn smooth out. She got home last night, so uh, she wanted to tell everybody she loves you, and she thinks she's heard this sermon, but she's never heard this one. This is a new one. I used to keep my sermons in baggies so they'd stay fresh, but I um, don't need any more. Okay, I'm going to move down here because we're going to read the Scripture together. We're going to read the whole chapter of 2 Samuel, chapter 9. Don't be afraid. It's only 13 verses. <clears throat> And then I have three points. Okay. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's house named Ziba. They called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied, Yes, I am, basically. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, He's at the house of Makar, son of Amiel in Lodibar. So David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Makar, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, I'm your servant. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Woo, that's good news. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Basically, he's restored all the property. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may, may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of, ma of your master, will always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He's got plenty of farm hands. So don't worry about it. It's going to be taken care of. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands you, your servant, to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, I guess, big word, 
And all the members of Ziba's house were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he, now remember, he moved from Lodibar to Jerusalem. That's like moving from uh, Godibo, Oklahoma, to Oklahoma City. Because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. Isn't that a fascinating story? Yes, James, it's real fascinating. It's a powerful, powerful story. And I'm going to take about 25 minutes this morning and talk to you about Mephibosheth. First of all, I just want to tell you that, uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to try to stay on course here, okay? First of all, I want to tell you that uh, Mephibosheth was, was the son of Jonathan, and he was the grandson of King Saul. His name expresses a role that he had in life. This is what his name means. He who scatters, dispels, and exterminates shame. That's pretty powerful because that's going to be the purpose of his life. You're going to see this. Now, I have three points. These are original. You can tell when I give them. They're original. First of all, Mephibosheth was devastated by a fall. Secondly, he was surprised by a call. And thirdly, he was seated in a hall. So we're going to go through these quickly, okay? First of all, Mephibosheth was devastated by a fall. His father and grandfather were killed at Jezreel, and the news came that they were dead. Well, if you're the grandson of the king, and your dad has been killed, and your grandfather has been killed, guess what you are? You're the heir. You're the next king. So in the hustle to try to save his life, uh, it says in 2 Samuel 4.4, he was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan's death came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. What a tragedy. Uh, you have to realize back in those days, we didn't have McBride bone and joint. And all, when you were crippled, uh, you were just about doomed for life. Isn't it, isn't it amazing in life sometimes how people experience things just because of accidents or the, the carelessness of others? We live in a fallen world. You all know that, don't you? Sometimes things happen to people. Here's this little five-year-old guy, heir to the throne. They're trying to make sure he's safe and get him away. And basically, Mephibosheth would be a victim. You know, we're kind of victimized also. Did you know it? Anybody here ever met Adam personally? I knew Noah personally, but I didn't know Adam. That's a joke, y'all. I'm so old, my grandson said, Pops, we would spank you, but you're so old, we might beat you to death. So anyway, I want you to think about that. We never met Adam, but did you know we inherited something from Adam? We inherited a nature. We inherited a fall. When he fell, the Bible says there was imparted to us, he was our federal head, there was imparted to us a fall. But interesting enough, not another Adam, but the last Adam, who was Jesus, came to restore us to God and that required death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. So Mephibosheth was a victim, and the problem was he was crippled. Now let me tell you, poor theology. Y'all ever been around poor theology? This is poor theology, is the theology that was prevalent at this time. If you, had, if you were crippled or had any deformity in your life, you were connected with the curse and sin. Now this carries over into the New Testament when Jesus is with the man born blind in John 9, 3. And the disciples come up with this great question. They ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? How come he's blind? Somebody had to mess up somewhere. Let me tell you, folks, if mess up makes you blind, we'd all be blind as a bat, right? Anyway, but that's bad theology. Bad theology is to equivocate tragedy sometimes. 
You know, one, one time I knew we we're in trouble when I heard a guy say, you know, if Jesus and, uh, and Paul, you know, they represent, y'all know Jesus is the personification of Christianity. He is the document, right? Y'all know that. A man acquainted with sorrow, a man acquainted with grief, a man stricken, a man beaten, a man dying. It doesn't go along very well with the poor theology we have that gives the impression if you get everything together, everything's just going to go hunky-dory in life. Deuteronomy 11, 11, God says, the land I'm living, leading you to is the land of hills and valleys. That's life. But the good thing is, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Whatever you go through, I promise you this, you will have strength to go through it because God is with you. I always tell people at funerals, always remember this, the same Jesus that called your loved one home is the same Jesus that will stay here with you to help you through this time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he was associated with the curse. So undoubtedly, he goes into seclusion. He withdraws into isolation. Second Samuel 9, 4 there we just read said he was living in a place called Lodibar. Now, you know what the Hebrew word Lodibar means? No pasture. Now, can I break, make that contempt for you? Ain't no grass growing in Lodibar. Lodibar's a geographical oddity. It's two weeks from anywhere. You'll get that line, won't you, anyway. Lodibar is desolate, filled with aridity. Nothing there, nothing there. Nothing grows in Lodibar. So here is Mephibosheth. He leaves, goes in seclusion and isolation. And you know what his fear still is? That somebody is going to find out that he is the heir, and he's afraid eventually somebody's going to kill him for the sake of the fact that many people didn't like Saul and Jonathan. So he withdrew to this place of no pasture. Listen to what, he, what is uh, in, in 2 Samuel 9, 8. I don't think I read that in that passage. We must have missed that. He identifies himself as a dead dog. Is that right? Can you flash that up real fast? 2 Samuel 9, verse 8. What a day we live in. Mephibosheth bowed and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now, you all know biblically dogs were out of the covenant. But if you're a dead dog, you're really in a mess. R.G. Lee used to say, Dead dog ain't going to get no fleas. Right? Not even the fleas mess with the dead dog. You ever had a dead dog in your front yard? What do you do with that dude? Well, you know, we can't cook it, right? We have to get rid of it. And that's how, now that's his self, that's his concept. What he's been through all of his life. He not only is saying, I'm out of the covenant, but I'm a dead dog. I don't have a, not only am I out of the covenant, there's no way back in. And I want to tell you this morning, Mephibosheth represents me. He represents someone who's disqualified, somebody who's defiled, undone, cursed, without a cause, without a covenant. Secondly, he was surprised by a call. The king remembered something. He said, you know, I made a covenant with Jonathan. Let, let me read that covenant to you. 1 Samuel 18, 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as himself. And then 1 Samuel 18, 4. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was with him and gave it to David along with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So they entered into a covenant. And David remembered this covenant. You know what the purpose of covenant is? It's to bless somebody. Listen, of all the reasons God sent Jesus, we know he sent us to die, sent him to die for us. But listen to Acts 3.26. 
God sent Jesus to bless us. That's what Jesus wants to do today with you. He wants to bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The call is to receive a blessing. Mephibosheth thought it was a time to kill him. David said, don't be afraid. I want to bless you. The call is to receive a blessing based, now listen to this, based on what somebody else, two other parties, what they've done for you. You know why I know I'm going to heaven? I don't always act like I'm heaven bound. Do y'all always act? Now let's all tighten our halo a little notch here. Let's, one, two, three, let's tighten. Do, you, do y'all always act heaven bound? Sometimes I, at work I go, dear God, I can't believe I thought that or I said that. And they can't believe I thought that or said that. Anyway. <clears throat> you know why I know I'm going to heaven? Well, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the reason I know I'm going to heaven is before the foundation of the world. In a heavenly court, there was a covenant made between two people, God the Father and Jesus. And this was the covenant. That if man fell, that Jesus would come to redeem us. And the Bible says in Revelation 13, 8, that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. In the heart of God, now how could that be, we say, in the heart of God, in the heart of Jesus, before the foundation of the world ever happened, that covenant was made. And it was fulfilled on Golgotha's hill when Jesus poured out his blood, which was, the Bible says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, when he poured out his life for me. And today, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm in that covenant because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and him, the Father, made a covenant that my sins can be forgiven and I can have heaven as a gift. Did y'all hear about the three guys killed in a car wreck? One of them appealed, appeared before Peter, and he, Peter said, why should I let you into heaven? He said, oh, I was at church every time the, you know, what, Peter said, what do you deserve to get into heaven? He said, I was at church every Sunday. And he said, I'm sorry, man. The next guy came up. He died a little later in the car wreck. And he came up, and Peter said, what do you deserve to get into heaven? He said, well, I, I gave. I gave it to everybody I met. I gave all the time. He said, then I'm sorry. Third guy died and came before Peter. And Peter said, what do you deserve to get into heaven? He said, man, I don't deserve to get into heaven. There's no way I'm going to heaven except by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Peter said, you can come on in, man. It's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but by his righteousness imputed and imparted to us. Now, the hesitation is he's crippled in both feet, right? Even the, even the man that identified him, identified the survivor, mentioned that malady in his life, that demise. He's still crippled in both feet. Now, where is he? He said, bring him here. And this is about grace. This is about grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor to people who do not merit it. Mephibosheth said, I'm a dead dog. He didn't feel like he deserved it. But David said, Mephibosheth, it's not about you. It's about a covenant that I made with Jonathan. Symbolic of a covenant in heaven between God and Jesus, between two independent parties that had nothing to do with you. You know, I know a man that, he, he worked hard all of his life. But then one day he just quit working and started living like a king. And you know what happened to this man about when he's about 60 years old? His aunt died. And she didn't have any children or anything. This is a true story. Of course, all stories aren't to be true, right? This is a really true story. But anyway, listen what happened. 
the ant. Way decades ago, bought about 5,000 stocks in the Texaco company when they were like 10, 12, 15 cents a piece. And when she decided to kick off, she sent all that money to him. And somebody told me it was around $33 million by the time they got done with it. So he became, now you know what he did to deserve that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He just had an aunt that loved him and wanted to bless him. That's a picture, right? That's a picture of grace. And grace, this is a grace issue. David represents God in this, who is kind to us, who even our frailties wants us to be right with him, who loved us so much he gave his son, the propitiation, the one it would take to get us back to him. You ever thought about that? There's no way we could have gotten back, we, we could have gone back to, to the Father. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. Now we, we are forgiven, we have righteousness. But listen, in our Adamic nature, there's nothing that we can do what we have to do is trust that covenant by two people, God the Father and Jesus, that invites us back to his presence. It's about grace. He shows us kindness, just as he did Mephibosheth. And he wants us to restore, activate this covenant. Well, the last thing is he was seated in a hall, a banqueting hall. Uh, one time I woke up, I was, lived, I was living over here on this, uh, Doug, where you, where you and Gina live? I was, we were renting that place and when we first started the church. And one morning, about we had company in. Matter of fact, had a bunch of people in the house. And I got up about 2 o'clock one morning, and uh, I thought I'd broken my ankle. I just couldn't walk, you know, and limped around. And next morning, my ankle was about that big around. And I told Frankie, I said, I think I fractured my ankle or something. Well, y'all remember Dr. Bird? I went to see Dr. Bird, my favorite, one of my favorite people. Went over there, Dr. Bird, funniest thing. He got a phone call, and this is what he said. I'll never forget it. No, I can't give you medicine on the phone. You'll have to come see me. He hung the phone up, and he said, crazy. Anyway, Dr. Bird at 80-something still thought people were crazy, right? But anyway, I went over to Dr. Bird, and he thumped around on me a little bit. And he, he said something I never heard. He said, uh, James, you got the King's disease. I said, what in the world is that? He said, it's called gout. He said, the reason it's called the King disease back in the... Dark ages, the only people that had meat to eat were the kings. And they'd eat too much meat and their feet would swell up. So that's a picture. Now, we're not talking about scrambled eggs, scrambled egg sandwiches. That'll rescue you at my house. Right? Bloney. Hey, we're talking about a banqueting table every time the king eats. The king pre-orders everything he wants. And everybody spends all day trying to make sure it's on the table ready. We're talking about that kind of meal. We're not talking about bloody sandwiches and, you know, sometimes just going to the Sonic and grabbing something. The king doesn't do that. The king, the president, you know, one of the big things uh, Donald Trump will have to do is decide what chef he wants. That's going to be a big deal. Right? <clears throat> I, I guess if, the, if our past president could spend $3.8 million to go play golf with Tiger, I guess we'll just have to let Mr. Trump have the chef he wants, right? I'm sorry about that. That's, that made my ears red. I probably shouldn't have said that. But anyway, moving right along. <clears throat> and you know Bernie. I was thinking about Bernie today. Bernie's brilliant. Did you know that? Bernie got his first job at 40. I'm serious. First job. Anyway, moving right along. Okay. 
He was seated in a hall, a banqueting hall, the king's table. It wasn't a card table, folks. It was a long table. Now, and note in verse 7, 10, and 13, notice what it says. Let me just look at it quickly. Well, I'm just quoting. It makes three references in this short passage to this reality that Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. Mephibosheth ate at the king's table regularly. And the last one says, now this is powerful for you today and for me. He ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. Are you you getting that? His, His demise didn't change. Now, this is how the charismatics would have written this, right? And he was miraculously healed, and the king said, just stay right there. No, he was still crippled in both of his feet. Makes a point. Scripture makes a point. Well, that's old covenant. Well, that's great. That's all right, isn't it, that you don't... You know, and I was thinking the other day about Jabez. You know what his name meant? He who causes pain. How would you like to go to the first grade? And they say, how are you today, little boy that causes pain? By the way, that was me in the first grade. If I, were li- if I were in the first grade today, I'd be a Ridland kid. I'm going to just tell you straight up. Or they'd have me on something. But anyway, you know, fortunately I had Miss Kelly first, second, and third grade year. And at the end of the third grade year, uh, you either could read, write, and do arithmetic or your bottom was red as a beet. So anyway, moving right along. That's back in the old days when we had to learn. Hello. And the shortest distance to a man's heart back in those days was through the seat of his pants. One time I was sitting in class, y'all. I'll never forget this. Alice Lynn McIntyre was right in front of me. Y'all know Alice Lynn McIntyre? Anybody here know doorknob Bowens, Ronnie Bowens? He kept trying to look around her, and her pigtails just flopping. And Ronnie said, Alice, move over. (laughs) And she just kept, he just reached down and got a little pair of scissors and just lopped off about three inches of that pigtail. True story. You can ask Alice. She'll get red, instantly red when I say, Alice, anybody cut your pigtails off lately? Anyway. Let me tell you what Miss Kelly did. Miss Kelly got a board, and I witnessed it. At times, she was not paddling him. She was beating him with the edge of it. <laughs> and let me promise you this. Ronnie Bowens never cut off another pigtail the rest of his life. And Miss Kelly had to sit down and drink some water and rest about five minutes when it was all over. Whop, whop, whop. We had to bend over the sand table when you got a spanking. Y'all remember that? They had a sand like a sandbox in the first, second, third grade room. Well, Ronnie didn't make it to the, to the table. He was laid out before you ever got to the, beating him all over the back and everywhere. But anyway, so moving right along. I don't know why I got off on that. It's a covenantal place. Ephesians 2.6 says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in a heavenly place in Christ Jesus. That's heaven's banqueting table. That's a place of perpetual blessings that come to us because of the covenant of Jesus Christ. We're seated at that banqueting hall perpetually. We have the best. We have a covenantal meal by inner communion in our hearts. You just, you know, Jim Hilton wrote a book called Just Sitting Pretty. In Christ Jesus, you're just seated in heavenly places. You're just sitting pretty. You didn't do anything to get there, and uh, it's based on the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Meals, they're important, aren't they? Anybody here enjoy meals? I enjoy meals, I tell you. You know, my dad said when they first uh, opened the picture show in Kiowa, 
that people in Wesley would have to decide every Saturday night whether they were going to get in the wagon and drive to Kiowa and watch Roy Rogers and all those people or come over and watch the Krausens eat dinner. <laughs> Greater show or at the Krausens' house watching them eat. There, there is a sermon called Jesus Ate Himself, Ate His Way Through the Gospels. I don't know if you've ever looked at it. There's like 75% of some of the passages have to do with eating and being together. And even the last meal was together. The Lord's Supper was together around the meal. So this is a picture of our spiritual blessings that we can come into the hall of God, into the heavenly places through Jesus Christ. And we can commune with God. And we can be at a place. Jesus is the manna from heaven. And you know what he has over us? The Song of Solomon 2.4 says, He brought me to his banqueting table. And all of us have a banner over us in that banqueting table. And you know what it is? His banner over me is love. We're there because of God's great love that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. You know, Dottie Rambo, I don't know if y'all remember her or not, she was killed in Mount Vernon, Missouri, a couple of, well, in 2008, in a bus wreck. I, I loved uh, Dottie Rambo, and it was because of one song that she wrote that I, I still can listen to and watch her sign and sing at the same time. And one of the phrases in that song is, I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous His grace has caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. That's the story of Mephibosheth. That's my story. Hopefully that's your story. That God looked beyond our faults. I was raised... I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. If you have to place yourself in life, you know, we've got to place ourselves in this new world we live in. I have a friend that calls himself schizophrenic. You have to place yourself somewhere, right? I mean, if your favorite poem is Rose are Red, Violets are Blue, I'm schizophrenic, so am I. I mean, you've you got to place your... And, I, and in my placement, I was raised in the country, raised in an alcoholic home, raised in dysfunction, raised... I always tell people my family put the funk in dysfunctional. And some of that has affected my life, but... When I was eight years old at the Wesley Schoolhouse, I met Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, He has always been the type of Savior that has looked beyond my faults, and He has always seen my needs. And that's the story of Mephibosheth. We come to that spiritual banqueting place because of God and Jesus, the covenant they formed. And we, we, it's so interesting what Doug led us in today. It's His blood. It's the powerful thing. We are redeemed not with corruptible things with such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And we're all flawed and in need of forgiveness and salvation. Not too long ago, I'll try to wrap this up in the next few minutes. Famous last words, right? Bill Padberg used to say when I'd go along at day spring, he'd always come up and say, well, congratulations, preacher, all the white meat will be gone. So if you're going to the buffet, all the white meat may be gone. But I, I had a couple of friends in McAllister that recommended a kind of a prominent guy in McAllister to come see me. And so he came to my office, and I didn't know what was going on in his life. I found out later he'd gotten in serious trouble with the law and been arrested and owed this huge fine, about $50,000 fine is what they settled with him for. And it wasn't a fine as much as replacing defamation of property and stuff. It's so interesting what he said to me. He reminded me of James. 
I said, what about this, uh, what about your girlfriend? Oh, we've been together nine years. I said, well, that's great. Y'all ever thought about getting married? Oh, I, I can't marry her. And I said, why? I said, she's flawed. Got too many flaws. <laughs> I almost wanted to laugh out loud. But I tried to. Anyway, our session didn't go real well. Because uh, he couldn't see. He just can't marry that woman because she's got too many flaws. And he had to pay a $50,000 fine in public intoxication for what he did. I guess he was just hunky-dory, right? Anyway, my point is this. It's so easy to see everybody else's flaws. Did you know that? One day I was coming from the radio station. Used to do that little program every morning. And a city policeman had a guy pulled over, and I, I watched him. He was going. Putting that belt on. I thought, that dog, he's putting that belt on. And I thought, well, James, you dog, you don't have yours on. <laughs> so I guarded mine up real tight also. Y'all heard about the trooper stopped a guy that did that, and he said, Mr. Johnson, I'm going to have to write you a ticket. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, I've got my seatbelt and everything in. He said, but I don't think you can drive it hooked through your stern wheel like that. <laughs> so that's enough, that's enough of that. Now, I want to tell you today, I'm going to close with this. I've got a choice today. I can just stay out in Lodi Bar. You know, nobody has as bad as I do. Like the Quakers said, God, I can see why thou hast so many enemies because the way thou art treating thy friend. Or you know what? I can take the invitation from the king and I can move into Jerusalem, which is a heavenly reflection of a heavenly city, a place we practice here on earth by communion with God so we'll be ready to commune with God forever, meeting him every day at that place of spiritual interaction and through the word and through prayer and through fellowship. I can take that invitation or I can just continue flawed. Always worrying about everybody looking at my feet. Realizing that one of the greatest testimonies in the world, when people walk up to you and they say, so you're crippled, what, what went wrong in your life? I ain't worried about that. I'm on the way to the king's house. We're having sheep eyeballs floating in honey tonight. By the way, that is a delicacy in the Middle East. <laughs> Y'all didn't like That doesn't sound too good, does it, anyway? Yeah, we're having a barbecued goat. Y'all ever had barbecued goat? Kid goats, about 15 pounds. <laughs> anyway, that'll give you the king's disease. But anyway, we can take that invitation. Or we can just stay in Lodi Bar, feeling sorry for ourselves. This table represents a covenantal communion we can have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And my encouragement to you today is to get out of Lodi Bar, scoot up to the table, focus on the king, because listen what the king said. We read it in the scripture. From that day forward, Mephibosheth ate as one of the king's sons. He was no longer Jonathan's son. He was no longer Saul's grandson. He was David's son, spiritually speaking. Let's all stand together this morning. And uh, here's the invitation. Doug, could you come and play something for us? I want you to bow your heads with me, and we're just going to dismiss. But we're going to give an invitation. And the invitation is, first of all, if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, you need to do that today. And just tell him you're a sinner and you're lost. You know you need him today. And realize that if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you're willing to confess with your mouth, he is your Lord, you can be saved. 
because he does the work in you by brokenness and contrition. But to the believer today, are you ready for the change? Are you ready to move into that place of fellowship with God based on the covenant that was made in heaven before the foundation of the earth? We're going to heaven because God and Jesus worked all this out for us. He is the propitiation. We couldn't come back to God, so God sent us what it would take for us to come back to Him. That's grace. If you today would just say, you know, I'm going to reach deeper in my life and I'm going to quit looking at my maladies and I'm going to start really focusing on coming into that place of communion with God and being seated there, not looking at my flaws and everything, but looking at the righteousness of the King and looking at His blessings on me. I want you to just lift your hand before I pray for you. Anybody want to come to that place today? Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Father, how much you love us today that you gave your only begotten Son for us. And it was in your heart before the foundation of the earth to do that for us. You so loved the world in your heart. You had already given him before you made man. And we're thankful today for grace in our flawed condition that we can repent of our sins and we can be restored to you and made sons and daughters of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us all have that peace today when we leave here, Father, by knowing we have had an audience with you and we've done business in our heart today to make you the King and the Lord of our life, the owner, ruler, and operator of who we are. Bless this church today, Father. Bless everything they set their hands to do in this community. Give them favor in this community. Bring the Mephibosheths of the world here, Father, and help us when we're around those people not to look at their maladies, but to look at our own hopelessness without you and realize it is by grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And thank you for this time we've had in your presence. Doug, would you just lead us to something as we dismiss today? Lord, I come and I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart, as you're the one that guides my heart. And Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay 
Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you.